Haggai. We're going to read from chapter 1, 1 through 15. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it at a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work in the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. My Shabbat Shalom to everybody's. By the way, you may or may not feel that it, it is a peaceful Shabbat, but we come in here in expectation that the Lord would give us His Shalom. Amen? And um, by the way, in case you wonder, um, I don't have a, uh, a bulletin board where I have a number of possible options and uh, uh, where I throw darts and say, okay, now let's see, we're going to land on this. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to be preaching from this one. No, let me throw the dart someplace else. Um, I hope you realize... I'm, Assume you do, that I endeavor to ask for directions from the Lord, from the boss, on what he wants to say. And um, ever so often, when I sense th the Lord giving me a specific direction, I stand back and say, okay, Lord, uh, are you sure about that? Uh, this is not a light passage. And uh, my first inclination was to say, okay, Lord, uh, how about we do something else? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
been around long enough to know that when the Spirit of God leads in a certain direction, you really don't want to kick against the goads, as it were, but you want to say, how high? So having said all that, I want to ask that the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, will lead us into all truth as we look into this passage together. Father God, we thank you for your precious word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you, Lord God, for the wonderful things that you have for each one of us um, to hear in this portion. As your word tells us, open my eyes that that I would recognize wondrous things in your Torah. So we ask for that, Lord, um, that you would speak to each one of us and that you give us, Lord God, soft hearts to take your word and to embrace it and to follow in the directions you have for us. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. You know, um, what I was just sharing a moment ago is true for all of us. When you sense God speaking to you and giving you direction. And by the way, I, I hope I'm not speaking Chinese here. Um, my deep, deep, deep conviction is that if you're a child of God, if you're a man or a woman of God, God is interested to speak to you. He is more invested in communicating to you than you are in listening and getting it. And part of the lie, by the way, this is a bit off tangent, part of the lie for us is that, that we buy is that we need to be some kind of a spiritual giant in order to be able to hear from God. That's something that we sometimes, uh, sometimes comes to us for one reason or another, and at some point, God drew my attention to the statement that Yeshua makes in John chapter 10, where he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's a real simple formula, isn't it? That because we are the Lord's sheep and He's our shepherd, that He speaks. And somehow we recognize His voice in the midst of all the cacophony of noises and um, barrage of messages that filter our brain. And somehow God's Word makes it through our brain, our heart, and we recognize, okay, God, you're speaking to me. And if that's, by the way, that's something that is a rarity for you, something that doesn't happen very often. Um, let me encourage you to pound with a great deal of chutzpah on God's door and say, Lord, uh, hello, I'm your child, I'm your sheep, I need to know what you have in mind for me, would you please speak to me? 
in confidence that sooner or later he'll do that. Can you say amen? Amen. And so sometimes um, what we hear are not light messages. And our inclination is to say, Lord, um, respectfully, forget it. Uh, I am uh, holding on by my fingernails. And you know, you may have seen posters where there is a, a cat doing a chin-up and, and barely their, their claws are barely sticking over the chin-up bar and, and their, their chin is real close to, to the bar but not quite and the message is, hang in there, baby. <laughs> and there are times we feel like that. And we look at the Lord and say, Lord, uh, that's basically where I am and, and you want me to be bold and press and advance. I'm just barely hanging on. And the Lord's response is yes. I have greater things for you. And the movement... The advancement will come only as you're willing to, to look beyond the chin-up bar and recognize my plans and purposes and say yes to my plans and purposes. And this is somewhat like what we find in, in this portion. Just a bit of background. The people of Judah, and by the way, it's really Israel. Uh, and, and just another aside, there is no such thing as the ten lost tribes. Let, let me be very emphatic. Because we find uh, in Scripture, after the exile, we find references to people from all kinds of tribes. So yes, there are people out from different tribes who have been scattered and have been lost but the tribes themselves have not been lost. Okay. Um, 50,000 of them come to Judah. And by the way, that's a tiny minority of the people who are dispersed. And they live in a very small community, roughly uh, the length uh, of what is uh, Denver to Colorado Springs. Not a whole lot bigger. And um, they come because you may remember that the Persian king Cyrus told them to come, invited them. And let me just read to you a couple of statements where Cyrus invites them to come back to Israel. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout the land and, and put it in writing. This is what, this, what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, O Lord God of heaven, oh, excuse me, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And by the way, this guy is an idol worshiper. Just, just to put a little perspective here. Um, 
And he's referring to the God of Hebrews. El Elyon. He has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now that's quite an invitation from a guy who is an idol worshiper. You can connect the dots with current governments and we won't go there. Uh, but the people come and uh, they build an altar and uh, they build a foundation and then the work stops in its tracks for another 16 years. Why? Because of opposition from the Samaritans and others. And the Samaritans were afraid that if a temple was built that the people of Israel, the people of Judah would be established and that they would be a threat to them. By the way, the Samaritans continued to harass the people for another 93 years into Nehemiah's time. So they were hindered from doing the work because the Samaritans got a hold of the Persian government and, and the Persian government uh, put a kibosh on building the temple. However, it wasn't just external pressure, it was also internal because after a while what happened is that the, because of the pressure, the people lost heart. They gave up and they became preoccupied and concerned with their own priorities. Um, they were no longer interested in building God's building. And even when there was a change in government and, and King Darius came on the throne and he was willing, the people were no longer willing why? They became um, complacent, indifferent, and really lost concern for God's house. And you know, that's sometimes what happens to us. You know, God speaks to us. He somehow gets through the fog um, and conveys to, to us that we have a vision, that we have a calling that he's gifted us for a particular purpose and that he wants us to engage in it. And there's opposition, there's difficulties and so on and, and we lose heart. And what's wonderful is that God doesn't give up on us. He tenderly comes back and finds ways to get our attention and to remind us that he has priority on our life. Do you understand that? That God has priority on your life. Your life doesn't belong to you. The moment you said, I do to Yeshua and signed on the dotted line, you gave away the rights to your life. He has priorities. He has the priority over your life. And he insists that you get back on track. That's what we find here. And by the way, what is intriguing to me is that God is presented as Lord Almighty. And it's a special phrase in Hebrew, Adonai Tzvaot. 
the commander-in-chief of God's army. And this title for God appears five times in this chapter alone and then several more times um, in the rest of, of Haggai. There's a message there. The message simply is that to remind the people that everything that they need, God has. That he has all the power to get the job done. And that he simply wants us to engage along with him. And we hear that and we struggle and fail and fall on our faces because of unbelief. We look at God and say, God, yeah, I know you are the creator. You made the 14ers and you do all kinds of things uh, in Israel and in uh, Zimbabwe and, and etc. But the mess that's confronting me is somehow beyond your ability to control and manage. I mean, we don't come right out and, and yell it, but we kind of say to ourselves, sort of afraid to let God see it. That's why we need to remember that he is Adonai Tzvaot, the commander-in-chief of heaven's armies. And part of what happens to us is that we look at reality, the facts on the ground, and we determine our reality based only on what we see as facts on the ground. So the people were saying, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And stop and think what the people are really saying at this point. What they're saying is, we have the authority and the right to determine the appointed times and seasons. In effect, they were placing themselves in God's seat as the king instead of humbly coming and saying, okay, God, maybe you do have a plan and maybe you know what you're doing and maybe you have things planned out as far as a schedule and time and season. What is your time for things to be done, for the temple to be built? And the truth is, they already knew what the time and season was. They had gotten the initial okie-dokie from Cyrus 16 years or so before. And um, they've received permission to begin again. And their attitude is, we don't consider that this is the right time because we have more pressing items in our agenda. We're busy with our own stuff. And when we get our ducks lined in a row, then yes, God, we will make ourselves available. And as you can imagine, the Lord is not immensely delighted with that kind of an attitude. And, and what's intriguing for me, what I find somewhat amusing is you have this dialogue back and forth between God and the people. All of that partially taking through Haggai, the mediating here. And the Lord says to them basically, okay, you talk about time. This is not the right time. Let's talk about time. Sit up and pay attention. Is it right 
for your houses to be looking pretty and have panels while my house is in a mess. And yes, you may find it highly inconvenient, but do you find it to be appropriate? And interestingly enough, 93 or so years later, with Nehemiah, you find an absolutely polar opposite of an attitude on the part of Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets a report from his brother and several other people who come from Jerusalem, and they said, the city is a mess. The wall is broken. The gates have been burnt with fire. Nehemiah hears that. He doesn't say, okay, that's too bad. Um, you know, I've got things to do here. You know, I'm the um, butler for the king, cupbearer for the king, and I, I have responsibilities. What you see Nehemiah doing, he hears that God's agenda is not taken care of, and he's heartbroken. He sits down, he weeps, he mourns and fasts, and he prays before the God of heaven. He's shaken up. He basically is saying, Lord, what's up with this? Would you please equip me and show me what you want me to do? What is my assignment in taking care of this? Again, remembering that the Lord has prior claim. And the people ignored that very basic fact. And what happened to them is like a bumper sticker. You often see the faster I pedal, the behinder I get. You ever feel that way? And the Lord simply holds up a mirror to these people and reflects reality to them. Yes, your guys are working hard and you're getting further and further behind. And, and the words that Haggai gives here are very classic. I mean, they're almost, they're almost funny. You've planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on your clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You expect much, but it turns out to be little. In other words, you are in a mess. And then the Lord goes on to make a very hardcore, non-PC kind of statement to them saying the reason why things are in a mess is not because of some accident, you know, some cosmic alignment of, of the various planets are not working well together. The reason why things are a mess is because I am personally involved to see to it that things are a mess. I, the God of order, am, am bringing about chaos in your life because you are not interested in taking care of my business. Verse 9, what you brought home, I <laughs> blew away. Very graphic Hebrew word, nafachti, uh, which by the way, I won't ask you to pronounce it. By the way, it's the same word that is used in Genesis where Scripture speaks about God breathing life into Adam, 
And the, the simple message is, I am interested in breathing life into you as you learn to cooperate with my, with my plans and my purposes and my agenda. But if you are silly enough and determined that you will proceed according to your strategy and neglect my strategy, what I will personally do is instead of blowing life, I will blow destruction into you. Whoa! Kind of makes you sit back and, uh, and wonder. And then the Lord doesn't stop. He goes on to basically say to them, with a measure they've been measured, it will be measured to, to, to them. And of course, I'm quoting from, from Yeshua's teaching here from Matthew 7 and, uh, and Luke chapter 6. In other words, you invest yourself in taking care of my business, I will see to it that your business is taken care of. You ignore my business, and I'll see to it that your business is not going well. Again, you have a play on words here. The word in Hebrew for ruin, my house is in ruin, charev, and the word for drought, I've seen to it that you have, you're experiencing a, a drought. They're essentially the same word. And the Lord is saying to them, you've seen to it that my house is in a mess. I will see to it that your situation is in a mess. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for drought on the fields. This is verse 11. And a contrast here is verse 9 and verse 11. This is hard stuff. It's hard stuff because we, our basic attitude towards the Lord is that He's a gracious Father and He loves us and He wants to bless us. That's the basic MO. Scripture says in James, God's chesed trumps justice. So who God is, is that He would rather pour out His blessing on us. So this is very unsettling, very disturbing. And by the way, it's in there not just for the purpose of the people in Haggai's time. By the way, Zechariah has essentially the same message in the beginning. It's not only for them, but it's also for us when we get distracted and go off on tangents and pursue things other than God's interest. I know I'm not pointing a bony finger at anybody because we're all fickle. You know, we start off saying, yes, Lord, I love you. Take care of your business and I'll do what you want. And then something happens and we get distracted and we are way out in China. And the Lord is faithful then to speak to us and say, do you see what's happening? He reflects reality to us. He holds up a mirror and reflects reality to us. And again, the basic statement is that the Lord loves us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight fairly straightforward categorical statement so what does this apply to it applies to where we put the emphasis in our life and where we invest our time our energy our money yes our money you know I remember a number of years ago that I had this profound revelation really it wasn't profound but for me it was like light bulb went off in my mind I had been tithing for years and years and years and years and yet I felt like my money was mine okay God it's my money I'll give you 10% and maybe a little extra but it's my money and at some point the light bulb went off in my mind went on in my mind and I realized there wasn't just the 10% that was his, the 100% was his. And that he had placed me as, as a manager, a steward, and that a basic part of reality is to say, God, here is our finances. What do you want our finances to look like? And by the way, in years of ministry, what I often found, and this is not an absolute, but I've often found that people who are struggling financially inevitably do not accept the scriptural teaching about tithing. They feel like, well, it's, a, uh, it's an Old Testament principle and it's not really described in the New Testament and uh, obvious answer is yes and no no it's not explicitly mentioned because it's a given and furthermore what we find in Yeshua's teaching is even a tougher set of standards about finances Yeshua reminds us that everything we have is is God's and, and the notion of give with a generous measure simply means that we have a generous heart towards God and His business. We can expect that the Lord would pour out His grace upon us in that area as well. And no, it's not a quid pro quo like some silly people Mention I give ten, God 10 bucks then and it's sowing a seed then he will give me 100 bucks because he is obviously obligated to, to follow my mathematics. <laughs> but it's a basic principle. And Yeshua says give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, since God is in charge, how it plays out, his timing, his business. But he looks for that generous heart. For us to be tuned in to, our, to his priorities, folks. And then he goes on in verse 7 and 8 to rattle off three verbs with the sense of do it, do it. 
Go up into the mountain, bring down timber and build a house. Invest time and effort and money in seeing to it that my house is properly cared for. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. It's not the specifics. You know, it's not the, the specific, um, specific minute by minute or cent by cent. It's the heart attitude and how we follow through with that. Here, the people of Israel had to invest money to, to get lumber, for, pro- probably from the Lebanese, cedar, and then they would also, don't know all the details, but they would probably also go to the forest and cut down trees and bring them. The bottom line is that everything that is done will cause the Lord to be pleased and honored. That, folks, is the prime directive. If you're a Trekkie, you you may be familiar with that term. I I won't um, go into great depth on that, but the prime directive for us is that God would be honored, that his house would be built. And secondarily, The priority is then for us to receive what we need. And what Scripture always makes clear is that as we take care of God's business, He will take care of our business. And yes, it is a struggle for us to be focused 24-7 on the prime directive. It doesn't take much to get us distracted. We are, after all, sheep, folks. You know anything about sheep? You know they're not the brightest um, animals in, in the animal kingdom. Doesn't take much to get us distracted. You know, life is a mess. I'm, I am distracted by this, that, and the other fi- finances and relationships and Okay, God, I'll come back to you when, when I'm able. It doesn't work that way. And the Lord expected the people of Israel to gather their robes, to, to roll up their sleeves and get to work, despite the fact that at that particular point, the facts on the ground had not changed. They were still facing their enemies. And the the economic situation did not change overnight. But yet somehow, God speaks through Haggai and the people, all of them, listen. And by the way, remember that Shema, to to hear or to listen, always has, has the connotation of hearing with intent to obey. If, you're, if you have mixed feelings about doing what God wants you to do, then don't bother trying to listen to Him. He won't talk to you until you come to a place where you say, God, no holds barred. 
I have everything on the table, and yes, I'm willing to listen, and yes, I'm willing to do what you put before me. The people get it. The people are filled with fear, not the kind of fear that paralyzes you and, and neutralizes you, makes you freaking out, but the kind of fear that is reverence and awe of God where you have the sense of, okay, God, I get it. I know you're serious about requiring me to change. And that, at that point is when we see the touchy-feely graciousness of God come forth to the people. He's saying to them, I am with you. That's a huge, huge statement. Because what that means is that where you go, I'm going. And what needs to be done will be done. I will see to it. Why? Because I'm with you. And for us sometimes at Yeshua Tzion, it, 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 it's hard to wrap our arms around that because we're here in someone else's house physically but we have made a determined choice to focus not on the bricks although God has a plan for that as well for a building we've made a choice to focus on God's house the spiritual house and when the people listen, the Spirit of God stirs Zerubbabel and the high priest and the people, and they come and they get to work. The entire nation, entire 50,000 of them, they come, they begin to work on the construction of the temple, and it was built in four years, folks. It was taken care of. Why? God gave them a message. They heard the message. They took it for good money. They got to work. And God saw to it that it was taken care of. And you know, in, in some ways, we're like the people of Judah. Our congregational mishpacha has been through some tough times during the last several years. We've had a significant number of people who have been unemployed or underemployed. We've had several people with significant sickness, some death. And there have been times when we felt like, okay, God, I'm, I'm like the kitty, just barely hanging on, just maintenance mode. And I believe what God has been doing the last year or so, He has been putting the cattle prod to us and saying I'm bigger than the maintenance mode the time is short there's much work to be done in the kingdom of God and yes there are challenges and yes there are difficulties but we are becoming committed to redouble our efforts to engage vigorously in the work of the kingdom of God 
We're committed to doing the Father's business in confidence that as we do, that He'll take care of our business. You'll be hearing a lot about that at the town hall meeting, and I encourage you to come. But come with expectation. This is not about nuts and bolts, and, and uh, yes, there'll be some of that. Come expecting to hear from God in a town hall meeting. I know this is viewed as a business meeting. Come expect to hear from God. What is God doing here in Amishpacha? Is he at work? Is he at work? And does he have a plan for you? Does he have an assignment for you? And are you willing to listen to that assignment and take it for good money? Or are you basically saying, God, I'm too busy. I have other things in my agenda. And respectfully, forget it. And you certainly can do that. In which case, your loving Heavenly Father will come back to you again and again and tap on your shoulder and say, I have a prior, I have a priority on you and on your time, your energy, your money, just who you are. I have a strategy for you. I have an assignment for you that I expect you to follow. And yes, it's okay to say it's impossible as long as you remember that I'm the one who makes it happen. Are you willing to do that? You're willing to do that? To be part of what God wants to do and to do your part as the people of Israel did in the construction of the tabernacle. Would you please stand? Lord, our gracious and our loving Heavenly Father, we stand before you as a congregational mishpacha, aware that often, Lord God, we have foolishly assumed that it was okay to pursue our agenda and our priorities and to be content to be in a maintenance mode and we ask you forgiveness Lord God because we want to walk in robust faith trusting you Lord God that your plans and purposes for us as a congregation to be a city that is set on the hill to be light and darkness, Lord God, that your plans and purposes for us need to come to fullness. And Lord God, we want to be zealous
for those plans. We want to see your house both physically and spiritually, spiritually and physically established. Lord God, we want to be part of it. We pray, Lord God, for each one of us to be imbued with boldness from your spirit to see what it is that you're doing and, Lord God, the softness of heart to follow and be part of what you have for us to do. I pray, Lord God, for each one of us to receive that deep conviction and, Lord God, to follow what, what it is that you're saying to us about the building of your kingdom. We pray, Lord God, that you would receive much honor and glory as we hear with intent to obey and as we follow, Lord God, what you have put before us. We pray, Lord God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. We ask this, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen.